Hi, this is Steve, your host here on The Playful Musician. I'm so very excited to bring to you today my conversation with singer-songwriter, film composer, Brett Detter. You're listening to Brett right now singing We're at the Top of the World off his 2021 album with his band, The Juliana Theory, called A Dream Away. That's a really cool recording where they do a bunch of reimaginings of their past hits in a more acoustic version. Brett also shared with me how he got his start as a songwriter at the tender age of six and some really fun stories about how he shared those with his classmates at the time. He also talks about how he got into scoring for film, how he met William Brent Bell, which led to him writing the score for the movie The Devil Inside. We talk about what it's like to grow up in western Pennsylvania and the emerging scene and ongoing renaissance in and around the Pittsburgh area. He also shares about his new EP, Still the Same Kids, Part 1, and we get to hear a clip from a single that dropped, I believe today or yesterday, called Playback 99. A really great song, and I know you're going to love that. He also shares with us his favorite hot beverage, his worst gig ever, one of his most inspired gigs, and so much more. I had a great time getting to know Brett and hearing all of his stories, and I'm so pleased to be able to present it to you. Please enjoy my conversation with Brett Detter. Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado... Here is this week's episode. Brett, thanks so much for being here. It's really awesome to get to talk to you today. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. I was um, really interested to learn that you're a Pittsburgher. And it's really funny because the person I just interviewed earlier this week is also from Pittsburgh. His name is Reggie Watkins. He's a trombone player. Just an interesting parallel that uh, I got two Pittsburghers in the same week. We're you know we're secretly all over the place. There's there's a lot of us. <laughs> it's just we we uh, a lot. I feel like a lot of Pittsburghers don't always intentionally draw attention to themselves. In a way, it's kind of a, yeah. A, it's kind of one of those cities that. Yeah, I just feel like it's a little bit more, um, it can be, 
understated and I feel like Pittsburgh is underappreciated in general. So mm-hmm. yeah, there there's there's a lot of us out there. Yeah. It seems like it's coming into a renaissance. Uh, it, it has been, yeah, for a while. Like the music scene in particular. I've always, I always thought that the, you know, the music scene in general in Western Pennsylvania was always really positive and nurturing and, you know, had a lot of variety and mm-hmm. I don't know. I just thought it, that's what really gave me my entire start was really just playing music locally, you know, in, in that area. So, yeah. When did you, like, was guitar your first instrument? What was your first instrument? My grandmother made me take piano lessons. Her and my mom teamed up to force me to take piano lessons when I was really young. <laughs> and I think I took Ganged lessons. up on you, huh? Yeah, they, they really did. Well, my grandma gave me, like, this heirloom it was like a family heirloom piano that was like this player piano that was like, you know, made in the late 1800s. And it was hers and she passed it down to me. I was her first grandkid and they, you know, they wanted me to take piano lessons, which I did for a while. And I never enjoyed the actual lesson. I'd never enjoyed, I rarely liked playing what I was supposed to be practicing. <laughs> but I always yeah. wanted to just sit there and like noodle and make my own things. And like, I would just be happy to sit there and kind of like play my own little parts or whatever, make my own, make my own little songs or whatever they were. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the idea of, you know, doing like the exercises and learning scales and stuff was never really my forte. And um, it's, it's funny because I'm still like sort of bad at all those types of you know things you're supposed to the basic things you're supposed to know or whatever the supposed to's yes was your family musical was there a lot of music going on in your house there was a lot of music yeah um i was told that my mother and father my my parents used to i guess they sang to me like even before i was born and Mm. they would like sing me to sleep every night and when i was really young my dad um sang in a in like a gospel group and wow i would go to see like their like their practices and stuff and i just remember thinking it was the coolest thing because there was you know there was like a live drummer and a live bass player Mm -hmm. and all these people singing and i just thought that was so cool and and my dad had this collection of 45s this and he made this wooden box and it had all these singles in it and you know, it was a lot of like Motown stuff and doo-wop and soul. And I just remember, I thought it was, I thought it was like the greatest thing ever when I discovered this box. I just thought it was, I just immediately was drawn to it. And really early mm. on, I somehow picked out all my favorite songs and my, and my dad's favorite songs. And he made me, you know, like we made a mix cassette of, of like all my favorite songs <laughs> or whatever. And I would, you know, I would like take that and listen to it, you know, my walk yeah. or whatever on the way to school and stuff. So yeah, music was always, I feel like a, a regular part of life. What was, do you remember any of the songs that were on that mixtape? Yeah. Um, I rem- there was definitely like a lot of 
Smokey Robinson and Marvin Gaye. And mm. I remember, I heard it through the grapevine. I remember, um, my mama told me you better shop around, you know, some, like, I feel like, I feel like Bernadette was on there. Yeah. So it's a lot of mm-hmm. like temptations, four tops. That, and my mom was a little bit more of the, the slightly more rock and roll than my dad was. And I think uh, there was like one or two things on there that, that were from her collection. But my dad, mm. my dad was, is funny because he really only listened to like soul music for the most part. And mm. I remember years ago, he said, remember him saying, yeah, I didn't like the Beatles when they came out with their, with their moppy hair and their nasally voices. And I was like, okay, then you don't, don't come to any of my shows. <laughs> like you think they have nasally voices. Oh man. <laughs> oh, wow. That's really funny. And then did, were you involved? Did, were you like singing in choir in school or was it mainly just on your own? You started singing and exploring music outside I didn't, of school. You know, I didn't, um, uh, no, I, I'm trying to remember. I don't think I was, I was never in like choir or anything like that. But what I Mm -hmm. do remember very specifically is a very vivid memory for me. I remember first grade, there was a one point in time where the teacher would take all the kids to the bathroom together. So we would all go as like the whole class would have to walk and like walk in a straight line and, you know, wait Mm -hmm. your turn to go to the bathroom or whatever. And I remember standing there and while I was there, I... I'm not sure when I wrote this song, but I, I had written a song and mm. and I asked the teacher if I could sing it in front of the class. And she was like, okay, Brett, yeah, you can sing it. So I get up in front of the class, sing this song, everybody claps. And I was like, okay, that's great. And the next day I come back and I was, and I was like, I wrote another song, can I sing it? And she's like, yeah, Brett, you can do that. And so I get up, I, I sing the song, everybody claps third day I come back and I'm like I have a song I just wrote another song can I sing it for the class and she's like not today Brett I think you've done enough (laughs) but so yeah I I don't know if like I had I had some training in stuff but it was honestly was pretty basic like rudimentary kind of Mm. you know I I think I just was naturally um, inclined to want to try to make my own songs as, as bad as they probably, I'm sure they were, but. <laughs> but that's so cool. You started this, this songwriting process like very young and like, did you, did you keep writing as a youngster? Yeah, I think, I think I kind of did always at, at one point or another. Um, it was just one of those. Yeah. It's like, it wasn't necessarily something that I took serious or something that was focused in any way up until, okay. So when I was in, I believe when I was in sixth grade, I started a a quote unquote band with, with my friend. And we basically, it was like, it was, we sounded like the new kids on the block or something like that. It was totally (laughs) like, like, you know, the teen pop for like in mm-hmm. whatever year 1990 or whatever it was and and so at that point it was like oh you know I, we got to write songs for this and then not too long after that a couple of years later you know started my first 
band with friends with you know got like with guitar and bass and drums and everything so of mm-hmm. course then it became super focused and you have to you know you got to have songs because you can't play shows if you don't have songs but i feel like right. before that it was a lot of um you know like i'm taking guitar lessons and i'm supposed to be learning these you know, learning whatever I'm supposed to be learning on guitar. And it was exactly the same as the piano stuff where I would just prefer to be sitting there and working on my own stuff. And Mm. so I had this one guitar teacher and he told me one day I said something to him, his name was Steve Urbani. And I, I feel like he actually really probably influenced my life in a, in a, in a major way. Because one day Mm. I said, you know, I think it would be really cool to like, learn how to shred so I can like, play solos like Iron Maiden or whatever. And, but he said to me, he's, he says, you know, I can teach you that if you want and you could learn that. He goes, but you seem to be very interested in making your own songs and writing songs. And that's way cooler than being able to shred on an instrument. So, mm. He goes, what I'm suggesting is maybe if you like working on some songs or you have some demos or whatever, you're recording some stuff with your band, why don't you bring bring that stuff in to lessons and, and I'll talk to you about your songs and, you know, go over some stuff and give some suggestions. And I think that was the first time that somebody said to me, no, your natural inclination where you're actually leaning naturally to want to make things as opposed to being super mm-hmm. pro, you know, proficient on your instrument was, you know, because when, when you're young, you don't, you just think like, oh, I want to be like that guy up there who is like doing this cool thing yeah. or, or the, there's the one kid in the neighborhood who is like, who's totally like can can like rip a solo or like play these Mm -hmm. crazy riffs or whatever and i'm like that's that's that just seems so cool and so impressive when you watch it or whatever but it was you know it's just cool to have somebody basically give me the permission that like no if if you want to make stuff that's just make your own stuff that's there's nothing wrong with that that's cool so yeah yeah what a gift that he gave you i agree that's awesome and were those, was it electric guitar? Uh, I'm my, assuming. I think at the very beginning, my dad was like, you need to get an acoustic guitar first because you should learn on acoustic. And mm-hmm. so I think I had an acoustic first, but then I, I ended up getting electric and an amp not yeah. not long after that. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Much because to I, their dismay, I'm sure. <laughs> They're like, oh no. To have to hear um, me trying to play like, blues solos like you know that's some horribly out of tune thing in my bedroom for like <laughs> hours on end not stairway to heaven <laughs> oh yeah definitely learned stairway to heaven that yeah that had to happen <laughs> rite of passage right right um yeah that's that's cool because listening to your you know one thing that strike struck me listening through your catalog is like you have a lot of of varied interests and your solo stuff, you know, is leans more toward maybe Americana or country esque. I mean, I don't like genre names so much, but 
I'll, I'll use those. And then your, you know, the Juliana theory and even, um, some of the soundtrack stuff is, is more rock or, you know, so that's, that's interesting that you have, you, you have those influences in both directions and those interests. Yeah. I think you can't, you know, you can't limit yourself to only doing one thing. And that, that's especially important and helpful in film composing land because you have to be moldable to a degree because a director might want something that's, it might be, well, this is all piano. And then the next movie projects could be, I don't want any piano in this at all. And I only want cello and violin and woodwind. So you kind of just have to not, yeah, to me, I, I the way I, I always like in songwriting and, and the idea of making music is, is so, so my dad is kind of like a master carpenter and mm. I cool. think of, I think of creating music in a very similar way where you could choose if you're a, if you're an architect or, or a carpenter or a builder, you're using mostly the same materials, but you could make an industrial warehouse or you could make a two-story house or you or so you can make like a, you can make a craftsman cottage or you could choose to make some like strikingly modern architecture or you could choose to make you know a garage or you could choose but there's all these different things but at the end of the day it's all still construction it's all still made from basically the same fundamental mm-hmm. pieces and so it's like at the, at the end of the day music is is you know it's rhythm and melody and a mood and it i feel like a lot of the other things are interchangeable for the most part right how how do you approach it differently when you're writing for uh the juliana theory or for yourself or for um for a soundtrack well, your pr- i feel like so so if you're writing if you're writing to picture then you are completely your work is sort of dictated to you in in a way because your job first and foremost when you're when you're a composer and you're and you're composing to to picture your job is to be a storyteller and mm. that's much more important than anything else what you're trying to do is move the story in the in in the direction that the director and producers are trying to take it. So sometimes you might be making something that is really simple that you might not necessarily stand on its own, mm-hmm. but when it's married to a picture and a, and a performance from actors and, and great editing and all of the other elements that, you know, are involved with that process it's like it can really serve a, a really important function even if it is simple sometimes so mm. i think in general you know when you're writing a song you know so how do i say this it's like from writing a juliana theory song there's a certain there's a certain feeling that i need to get from it mm-hmm. and so i want to say for the most part it still somewhat lives somewhat grounded in the idea of 
a traditional band format of drums, bass, guitars, and probably keys, and of course vocals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I can get pretty liberal with that and certain elements will just go away or will be changed or will be totally electronic or whatever it is. But Juliana Theory songs to me have a certain feeling to them. And I can't even describe necessarily what that feeling is in words, but I know what it is when I'm working on something. And mm -hmm. sometimes I'll say, you know, man, this is really cool, but it's just not, it's just not for the band. And then mm. other times I just know that it is. And so, yeah, but in a way, like when you're, when you're working on your own project or working like for a movie, it's, it's a completely different discipline because, it, yeah. you know, it's like if I'm making a song, then I'm basically making something that I want to make. And I, I think I let the song lead where it, where I feel like it's trying to tell me where it needs to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you, you don't, you don't necessarily get to do that. Um, all the time when you're scoring the picture because you're serving a bigger purpose, which is which is telling that story and, and making a director right. happy. So it's it's like a very it's a really different discipline. And it's like, oh, you might you yeah. might change tempo three times, you might change the key three or four times in one cue, and you might like, you know, just do a lot of things that don't always necessarily make musical sense in in the world of like quote unquote song world. But mm -hmm. yeah, so they're, it's just, they're quite different. Yeah. Did you do the music editing in those, um, those films as, that you've done as also? Um, specifically when you say music editing, what do you mean? So like, and my experience with film is sometimes the composer will, uh, like create a bunch of ideas and then hand them to the music editor and then the music editor kind of places them that's what i figured you meant but i just wanted to i just wanted <laughs> yeah, to, yeah i just wanted to make sure i've done i've done um i've done movies where i was a music editor i've done music i've done movies where i've had music editors who do a little mm -hmm. bit and i've done movies where i've had music editors that do a lot and mm. it just really yeah it's so you're you're right sometimes Sometimes there's a situation where I'll have a conversation with the director and maybe read the script or get a, a brief about what they want for the movie, but it's still being filmed. And I, I might just mm -hmm. start writing things and, and send them off to, you know, the, the director and the editor and then a music editor. And you're, you're right. Sometimes they'll, just try things, cut them up, put them in different places. And then a lot of times I'll take that as a starting point and then add on that or, or build to that. And then sometimes it's completely all written 100% to picture, but I feel like right. both, both methods work and they, they're just, yep. I think like the music editor thing, I feel like maybe 15 years ago, that was probably frowned on. But hmm. now it seems like with, with how often and how easy it is to change picture and make like picture edits and mm -hmm. constantly change things, you have to be really flexible. So I, I think the idea of sometimes having some stuff written 
up front that can be cut up and like you're not too too attached to like it's it's arrangement per se is it's just helpful from their 2021 album a dream away this is better now don't speak the word surrender won't seek to our defeat i know where you're on a bender that you're just searching for and how a heavy heart always weighs you down It's hard to breathe at night with no one around So I stay by your side, never let you down So that you never drown So can you hold out? Cause it is getting better now It is How did you get started with um, scoring? Like, what? How did that come about? Did that come out of the the band connections, or how how did how did you get your start there? This is an interesting story because I I I remember towards the end of the Juliana Theory's main like nine. 10 year run when we were mm-hmm. kind of like, um, you know, we st- we started, I think when I was like 20 and maybe, maybe no, even younger than that. Actually, we started when I was like 18 or 19 and mm-hmm. we went for like 10 years and toured full time. And towards the end of that, when I, when it was winding down before we got back together, um, when it was winding down, I, I remember thinking like, what on earth am I going to do? You know, this is the only thing I know how to do. And Mm. I remember somebody, somehow the idea of becoming a film composer came into my mind and I got this book and I read this book about what you have to do to become a film composer and how to become a film composer. And I was, I read it and I was like, oh, okay, well, no chance I can do this. This is completely, (laughs) this is totally over my head. This is a level of, skill that I don't have. This is, yeah, mm. that that's a pipe dream, not going to happen. And long story short, but for a couple, after the band broke up for three years, I went through this period of self-doubt musically and mm. I, I quit music completely. And I, and I said, I wasn't going to write songs anymore, or do anything else musically. And really, yeah. And during that time period, I met, I met, um, well, during that time period, moved to Los Angeles and a buddy of mine said, hey, do you want to come to, you want to come to San Francisco with me? My friend, my friend is playing for the Smashing Pumpkins and we can like go and, you know, have like VIP, whatever. And just like, mm-hmm. they're, they're doing a couple nights at the Fillmore. Why don't, why don't we go? And so, so I, so he comes to pick me up and I think it's just going to be me and my buddy that I know. But then I Mm. get in the car and there's somebody else in the car and I have no idea who this other person is. And long story short, 
ends up being the director, William Brent Bell, who I've basically, um, basically we just kind of like hit it off and had, we had a really fun, you know, we had a really fun weekend and, Mm. um, you know, just, just, it was great. We had a really fun time and he and I just became, we just became buddies and, Nice. You know, he'd hit me up all the time just to just to come hang out, hang out, and he'd tell me stories about you know what he's working on. Oh, I just sold this script. I just sold this script, and the, I got this idea. And he'd always have a million different ideas, that, and he'd always be telling me about like three or four different projects in various forms of development at, at one point in time or another. And one day we're sitting like at a bar, and he's and he's like, "Hey, I'm doing this movie, and it's really, it's." really small budget and it's not going to need much music but i want you to score it and i was like i i was like i don't know how to score movies and he's like no it's going to be really simple i think you can do it i don't think it it's it's not going to be hard and no one's going to see it i really think you should <laughs> really think you should should do this and i was like what makes you think that i would you know even be able to do this he's like yeah you're musical i know you and i know you could do this and i was like I don't know. And, and it took a lot of convincing and I ended up, um, basically I ended up, um, calling a friend that I had just met who had just scored a movie. And I was like, Hey, could you help me do this? Because (laughs) I don't even know how to, um, I don't even know how to like import video into pro tools. I don't know like anything that involves like working to picture and mm. so basically I said, yes, brought my friend Ben Romans on with me and we did all this really crazy music that was completely over the top. And Brent, the director ended up being like, yeah, um, this is all way too much. This is not what I wanted. <laughs> this is way too over the top. And so basically my buddy, Ben was like, well, I only had a really short window of time that I could, that I could work on this and I, I can't do anything else. And so I basically kind of had to go back, take the stuff we did, strip it down to like the most bare bones elements and then do a bunch of new stuff that was really simple, just like mm. a lot of voices and, and you know, kind of simple pads and, you know, it's a horror type stuff. It's a found, yeah, found yeah. footage horror movie. And so... He's like, you know, yeah, it just needs to be simple. Nobody's going to see this movie. It's low pressure. It's no big deal. So I end up scoring that movie. Um, ends up coming out. It's number one at the box office. It's number one at the box office in like, <laughs> it's like a hundred, con- like a hundred countries. And it literally, as of not long ago, it was the top number one or two most profitable movie by percentage ever made. Like it cost hundred thousand dollars and it made like $130 million. So, um, wow. So, so basically, yes, this movie called the devil inside and it didn't have much, didn't have much score in it, but I did that. And so that was sort of like dipping my foot into that world. And then when Brent went to make his next movie after that, it was, um, it was like a action horror werewolf movie called where, mm. and that movie was completely different. Uh, everything that it, it, you know, like a lot of times when, 
I'm saying this for for your audience because yeah, maybe yeah. not everybody knows this, but a lot of times uh, directors will temp music in to a, right. when they're working on a movie. So, you know, it'll be like they're editing and they want to edit to something with a tempo and they want to get the feel for it. And this is maybe before they hired the composer or early on in the process. And this movie was temped with... Um, with Inception and, and The Dark Knight. So like the biggest Hans Zimmer <laughs> million dollar, three million dollar scores that were like just these massive things. And I went from, I don't even know how, you know, a couple of years earlier to like, I don't even know how to um, import picture into Pro Tools and everything I had ever done up, up to that point didn't involve MIDI and it it didn't involve like using software instruments. It, it involved like I, you know, it's just like have a band play, have people play instruments. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden I was like, oh, I have to now give myself a crash course to figure out how to try to do something somewhat similar to the temp score that the biggest film composer with like the biggest budget on the biggest movies that exist at the time, <laughs> right. like the dark Knight. I have to try to basically learn how to do this on my own on a much smaller budget. And so I literally just had to like take a crash course to on like a looking at YouTube things and just like trying to figure stuff out. And mm. I'm still in a phase where I'm still like, that i mean I've, I've learned a ton but i still feel like i'm like hopefully nobody figures out i have no idea what i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> you're having imposter syndrome oh, always always yeah <laughs> that's a great story like how that's just amazing that's just an amazing thing about life i find where you get this opportunity and it's like oh this is nothing like nothing's gonna happen from this and then all of a sudden it's like oh actually Something's happening. It's and you know, and that is a that's a recurring theme too. That's a recurring theme in in my life. The things that mm. you don't it's like the things that you don't take seriously are the things that end up being awesome, I feel like, or the things that end up happening or succeeding quite often. Mm. And 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 that goes into well, it's like, okay. So the Juliana theory was a joke. We were a side project. The, the The goal of the band was to put out a three song demo tape and play one show. And we all switched. Well, not all of us, but like some of us switched instruments when we, when we mm -hmm. started the band, it was like, let's do this side project where we play different instruments and it's going to be really low pressure and nobody cares. And we're going to play like one show. And now here we are 20 some years later and you know, we're about to release a bunch of music. So it's literally started from, a place of, of a joke and a place of fun and a place of no pressure, which goes honestly circles right back to the idea of standing in line in first grade and getting a mm -hmm. song idea and asking if I could sing it because literally music should be in touch with that playful childlike thing and why do you think like you know as when you're a kid when you're when you're creating things when you're making stuff you're you're just playing you're just being you're just being free and playing and why do you think they call music playing i think that's really yeah. there i think there's a reason for that and so 
Yeah. Sometimes that's why it's called the Playful Musician. This podcast because we're playing. You're exactly. I mean, you're exactly right. It's it's you know it. You you nailed it because it's like if you and I even saw something today. I saw something on TikTok where J Cole was talking and he said something about you know if you're if you're in the zone where you're being creative and you start thinking about oh man how could i get this thing to go viral or or you start to right. think about money <laughs> or you start to think about making money you immediately go to a different yeah. part of your brain and it turns mm-hmm. off the part of turns off that creative part that you need to be you know what i i call that the flow state and i know a lot of people mm-hmm. do but like you turn off the flow state and and so it's like yeah. Just playing is just everything. It's so it's so important. It is, and it's and it's fun. <laughs> it is. It is. I look for it. Yeah. So what? So you guys did your your one gig, the Juliana Theory, and then like, how, how did you decide to keep going? Did you just have so much fun with it? You're like, well, hey, let's do another, and then do another. Or how did how did that progress? We did we did have a lot of fun early on, and. I remember I remember we started to take it more seriously and and oh let's play this weekend let's 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 do a weekend trip and drive to Detroit and Toledo and then another time let's go to Washington DC and Baltimore or whatever we would do a lot of weekend trips mm. and then I was in a band at the time. Also, I was in a second, I was in another band. My, my serious band at the time was this metalcore band called Zayo. And they're still around and they're, they're amazing. Mm-hmm. They're still, they're, they're doing awesome things. And, but I was playing guitar in that band and, um, that, and Zayo was on, on a label called Tooth and Nail. And the, the president of the label I had given him a Juliana Theory demo tape and he came to see us play and he was like, yeah, I like this stuff. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll sign you guys to, you know, make a, make a record. And that was the point where I remember we, we all got together and we sat down and said, okay, well now we have an offer to, to, you know, to sign a record deal. So we should, decide to take this seriously and and go on tour and like try Mm. to make it a real thing and that's kind of just what happened and i remember i i actually booked our first tour myself from calling promoters and we toured like we did like a full u.s tour that i booked and that's just another thing of like i'm not sure i would give somebody the advice to do that but it's like the (laughs) naivete of just saying well we have to be on the road and we had to tour so we just i'm just gonna do it and yeah right so just yeah did you guys have a a nice following in pittsburgh we did we started to get we started to get you know we started to to do well in the hometown Mm. but we we Mm. we tried to not play there very often we we didn't want to do the like be a like play the circuit and be a local band that only plays in our hometown. Mm. So we, we tried really early on to, to travel all the time and, and to play other places, which is one of the, the best things about the Pittsburgh area is like, like I was saying, you're a four to six hour drive away from so many major 
cities. Oh yeah. Not New York, yep. Toronto. There's so <laughs> many places you can go there on weekends. And before we toured and even in between tours, we would always do like a leave Thursday night or leave early Friday morning and then get home super late Sunday night or like super early Monday morning because we would just like, you know, drive. So yeah, we did we did great in Pittsburgh and we started it's one of the first places that we started to like really um I don't want to say blow up, but yeah, like it's one of the first places where we really started to see a connection happening and it was really yeah. it was always nice to you know, come home and play hometown shows. Sure. You know, listening to the, the Juliana theory songs, I feel like you have a real knack for the hook and for catchy melodies. Like they're just so, they're, they're so fun. And, um, I'm just curious, like what's your process? Like, do you write lyrics first? Do you come up with a melody? Does it change? Like how, how normally, how how does it work for you when you're writing a song? Normally, like I the, I well, normally okay. It depend it depends what type of music it is. So if if I'm mm -hmm. doing something extremely folk oriented, mm -hmm. then I might have a lyric first because sometimes like I feel like that type of music is more lyric driven than anything else. But mm -hmm. anything that stems from the pop world and i use that term loosely but i i'm yeah. definitely going to say like a pop rock band fits into that anything in mm. in the like pop world usually there will be either i'll get a melody in my head randomly and to to know music and i'll start building something around that melody or i'll start with um a small like piece of music like i'll I'll play some chords or like loop a, a drum drum beat or and you know in a synth part or a guitar part or whatever it is and then usually i just um kind of just try to go into the flow state and just start singing a bunch of stuff and a bunch of like mm -hmm. random nonsense and occasionally <laughs> yeah it's like occasionally you know something will come out and i'll just know right away oh wow that's that's like a verse and a pre-chorus and a chorus. And occasionally that'll mm. happen where it's like, boom. But a lot of times I'll just try to, I'll just try to get as many ideas down as, as I can just record as many things as possible while I'm feeling inspired. Then I tend to step away from it for a while and then I'll come back and usually sort through and start to hone what was recorded and say, okay, this is, this is really strong. This sounds like a, this sounds like a verse. This sounds like, you know, this sounds like a pre-chorus. It sounds like a chorus, whatever it is. And mm -hmm. start kind of flying things around and, and moving things and seeing how one part goes next to another and then kind of changing it from there. And a lot of times, and I didn't always do this next part, but, but for the last two years, this has become super important to me and I, and I should have always been doing this, but I think when you're recording those random mumbling singing ideas to nonsense words and just like singing syllables, hmm. a lot of times certain words and phrases will just come out and certain vowel sounds will come out. And I think it's extremely important when 
I'm writing lyrics to try to match, especially those vowel sounds, because it, mm. if, if I sang something with an ooh, that means that at my most inner, creative, playful core part of me that isn't overthinking anything at all, I sang that with an ooh, so that's where it wanted to go. So I'm going to try really hard to make sure that the lyric is soon or you know, mm. moon or two and not free because right. like, because it, like I used to not care at all about the vowel sounds. I'd be like, no, I just, I just have to make this rhyme and whatever. But I've, but I've realized lately that that actually really makes a big difference. What, like what the vowel sounds are. And I didn't, I just like started to, yeah. So I just try to find the sounds, find what may, like what I did that stood out and then just kind of build everything based on that, and if that makes sense. That does make sense. I it makes me think. I've talked. I keep referencing this. The listeners are probably sick of hearing it, but um, the Beatles documentary that um, just came out not that long ago it was incredible. So good. Yeah, yeah, and, and you just see Paul doing what you just described, where he's just sitting there strumming on the guitar just making up nonsense <laughs> and then it all of a sudden it becomes like the song and that's really cool to i mean that that seems like a common theme amongst songwriters that i talk to and for me that was a revelation i was like oh wow well i think it's it's really it's wild because i just got done listening to the audiobook of of david byrne from the talking heads his book mm. how music works and he goes really into depth about his process and how he thinks about things. And I actually had to screen record like video screen record one thing that he said, because it was so exactly to a T how I write vocals and like lyrics and melodies that I was like, is this dude like have a camera in my place or, or the, am I stealing? <laughs> like it was I, identical process to the point where all these things that he said he focuses on and tries to do consciously and subconsciously. I was like, I literally do all those exact same things. And wow. that was encouraging to hear. And, you know, and I just remember, like, like you said, it's like, I remember hearing, um, you know, an interview with Rivers from Weezer. And he said, you know, I lock myself in a room and I try to make make it so I'm the only person alive and nobody else can hear me and I'm completely and I just start doing all these things and just singing and acting like um you know like just making all these sounds and then it comes from that and it and it's really is like it's just I, I just feel like that's yeah it's like it's crazy like how you if if you start trying too hard and you start overthinking mm. it, it every once in a while, something cool can come from that. But I, I don't think the, the truly inspired things um, happen when you're overthinking. Cause that's like, I was, right. it's like, you know, there's two, there's two brains, there's your editing brain right. and there's your creating brain. And, and I like to, it's, it's, it helps to separate the two if possible. Yeah, who was it? Um, might have been Jerry Seinfeld um, who was saying that when you're creating material, 
you need to treat yourself like a child. That's right. Yeah. Just allow yourself to create. And then when you're editing, you got to be on the opposite end of the spectrum. You got to be like the, the dick, like the super strict, like, <laughs> you know, that's where, that's where that portion of your personality should come in. And, and then two should not mix. Like here I'm doing creative work here. I'm doing editing. They're not, they're not, um, you shouldn't try to do the, uh, you know, <laughs> you get what I'm saying. No, I mean, I, I live, I live by that principle. That's like something that I put into practice literally every single day of my life. And I think that it's, you have to, you, you can't, when you're making ideas, you cannot judge them as you're making them. You can't judge. You have to be free and make a no judgment zone. And sometimes it even helps to intentionally set out and say, I'm going to make this stupidest thing of all time today. I'm going to make a joke <laughs> and this is going to be dumb. And quite often, if you give yourself that freedom to just to, to like, to make, to suck and to make something that sucks intentionally, a lot of times something really good can actually come from that. And then, mm. you know, just conversely, you know, you have to then be, mercenary like super hardcore about being attached to nothing when you come to your edit phase even if you say man i love this part this part is awesome but you have to be able to say however if i put this part that i love as a pre-chorus it makes the chorus have less of an impact because it goes to these certain notes that whatever you don't you you want to save those notes for the course or whatever the situation is so you have to be like your editing brain has to be strong enough to where you can say even though i love this thing it doesn't like it doesn't work here or i i should get rid of it because there's a better idea or it, it doesn't need it or i played this awesome guitar part that i love but it's stepping on the vocal or whatever mm. so you just have to be you can't get attached you have to just be like except the idea right. that anything can go away at any moment in time. <laughs> yeah, that's great advice. And here it is, your first listen right here on The Playful Musician. Here's the single, Playback 99. The soundtrack to innocence To never last was imminent Made for the care To bounce back from my mistakes I try to make up for with mistakes To in the past, the ghetto blast Of fading away have this ep well so we're recording this before obviously uh we're, we're in march still but um you have this ep still the same kids that's pa coming out part one part one yes and you have a single that's gonna drop on is it the 31st or the first i can't remember i think it's the 31st i think okay called playback 99 yes and when did you when did that 
get created? When did you write that? I think I wrote that um, basically kind of got written during um, like during the pandemic, during mm-hmm. lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. Was, uh, did you find lockdown? We'll get back to the song in a second, but did you find lockdown to be a creative wellspring or was it really hard for you to like stay creative and, and do fun things when in the midst of no touring and honestly, I, I scored two movies and recorded basically two albums and um, wrote a ton of songs during, <laughs> during like basically everything being completely shut down. So I mm-hmm. was extremely creative and productive. And I don't know if that was just good like timing or if it was just, you know, the I, there are no distractions. And so it's just, it was easier than ever to just like lock myself in a studio and, and, and make stuff. So I, I found right. it, honestly, I found it to be a really, you know, creative time. And you released uh, A Dream Away last year. Is that right? Yeah. Is that 2021? Yeah. yeah, we did. Um, So we did it. What kind of prompted the idea of the the band getting back together was in 2019, we got offered to do an acoustic tour and, you know, the band hadn't, mm. hadn't done anything in years. We never played acoustic. And so I hit up all the guys and basically nobody wanted to do it except Josh Fiedler and me. And so wait, he almost kind of, to be honest, he kind of, had to convince me a little bit more to do it like he he was really the the caveat who like he was mm. the person who really pushed the idea and so i was like you know i i don't know if these songs work acoustic i don't wasn't sure i wanted to do it but i had a downtime in between movies and so he and i got together and we started figuring out arrangements of how to play songs that were full band rock songs with like two or three guitars a lot of times to one or two acoustics and just the two of us singing and so we drastically changed a lot of the arrangements and you know maybe made things finger picking that were like a heavy riff or whatever and just totally Mm. changed things around and we found like that it was really you know that was really enjoyable to kind of look at and think about these old songs in in a different way and so every you know, every night on that tour, people asked us if we were going to record the set. And so we went to, um, we went to the studio and kind of started recording the, those songs, the way we did them on the tour. And then I guess I thought it was too boring and basic. And I just started (laughs) like, okay, let's add Mellotrons and let's add pianos and let's add strings. Mm. And then next thing you know, it's like, so I, like w- like one of the songs just became like so drastically different from anything like that we had done on tour but yeah it just kind of came from doing doing the acoustic tour and we thought yeah let's let's um because then people asked and we thought okay we'll we'll just record this and then it kind of took on a, a its own life a little bit but yeah it's it was all older songs except for one that we 
drastically reimagined. Right. So what's, tell me about this EP and what, like, what was the, what was the gem or how did that idea come to, to do that? Okay. So we are releasing a series of EPs. Um, so okay. the same kids, part one, part two, part three, they, um, they're fair. It's a fairly cohesive topically, um, lyrically, and mood-wise, I think, um, set of songs across all the EPs. It's kind of, I mean, like sonically, you know, there's there's poppier songs and there's heavier things and mm -hmm. there's there's more chill laid back songs or whatever. But it's really, you know, it kind of ties in to what we were talking about and and then in the name of your podcast even, and it's just basically, um. I'd been writing a lot of songs about trying to stay in touch with your inner child and to, mm -hmm. to not lose, you know, to not lose touch with like that part of yourself and to kind of like, I don't know, like it's, it's easier for me to say it in music than, than it is for me to, <laughs> to speak about it. But yeah, the, yeah, it's just a bunch of, there's a bunch of songs that we're really excited about and really pumped about that we've worked really hard on that. I actually, you know, I think a lot of them are really inspired and we've just, um, yeah, we tried to, we tried to tap into the feeling that, the feeling that the band was always about and and moods and sort of emotions that we had always kind of tapped into, but at the same time to not completely limit ourselves to the idea of we need to sound exactly like we did at mm. X, Y, Z point in our career because the thing was we would we would change our sound sometimes fairly drastically from record to record. And sometimes that'd be, oh, a, sure. you know, a year or two in between. And so for us, it was like, okay, what if for 15 years we break up and go away, but what if every year for 15 years, we put out a new record and we continued on that trajectory by the time we got to now, I mean, for all, for all I know, by the time we got to now, we might we might sound like Daft Punk. For all I know, or, or we might sound like <laughs> At the Gates. So sure. uh, really, like there was. So we still, like I said, you know, still kept very much. There's still plenty of guitars, and there's still yeah. a lot of like nostalgia, and there's still a lot of like, you know, hooks and upbeat kind of vibes. But I think, yeah, we we didn't. It still feels like a band and it, it definitely is a band record, but we didn't want to like be like, oh, we have to sound like a certain era from our, our sure. past. We we can I like to nod to those things and a lot of times I'll mm. even nod lyrically where I'll I'll say something or like have a little lyrical throwback to something else that it's like only a super fan would notice kind of, you know, in the mm. you know, I, I like it's like a lot of you think of like the Star Wars universe, for instance. It's like <laughs> there, there's always like little 
there's all these little like nods and fan service types of things. So I, I like to I like to reference and and think about what we've done in the past, but I also can't be we we can't be limited to only like trying yeah. whatever. So yeah, so sure. I I feel like it sounds like all of this stuff sounds like what the Juliana theory is supposed to sound like in 2022. <laughs> so that to well, me, yeah. As far as yeah. I'm concerned. <laughs> well, I I I uh, got to listen to. That's uh, one of the great things about being a podcaster is you get early access. <laughs> so I got to listen to Playback Night. And I thought it was great and it was really fun. And um, uh, we can talk a little bit about it because it's it'll be out yeah. when, when this comes out. So I really loved the um, how how you switched it to halftime. Yeah, that was like a really that was. Um, I think so. Okay. So originally the whole halftime section, the, mm-hmm. the original, the original version of the song before it had that name and before it had the chorus was all halftime. And I had the whole, the whole song was like, the whole song was halftime and I had a completely different chorus and I can't remember exactly when Actually, I kind of do remember now what happened. Yeah. Okay. It's coming to me. So I kind of like, kind of got this idea for this guitar part for like the fast, for the fast, like part, the basically like the verses. And then I sort of like came up with this, came up with the, the riff for the chorus, which I think is like, like this, I like to call it like a dumb caveman guitar riff. Cause it's like <laughs> such an easy riff that like any, like, like anybody could play it. It's just like, just a couple notes or whatever. And mm-hmm. I st- you know, and as I was working on it, sometimes I will open up a different song in pro tools and be like, is there a way to put these two together? How can I like <laughs> make these two things work together? And, mm. and I was like, this is lyrically matching this other idea, the halftime idea. And I just, you know, like changed I might have had to, I think I changed the key and I'm sure I had to change the, the tempo t- to a degree, but I just remember mm. starting to bring in certain elements from the, this halftime, this other song that was halftime. And, and I guess at one point I was like, this song just has to stop abruptly. And then it just mm. has, to, it just has to shift and go halftime, which is like, I just, yeah, just thought it would be. I just thought it would be fun and unexpected and whatever. Cool. Yeah, I loved it. And it reminded me of the Franz Ferdinand take me out. Not that you were probably inspired by that, but I just heard, have you ever listened to Song Exploder? Oh yeah, I the... listened to that episode. I listened to every <laughs> Song Exploder episode and that one was great because I always did notice that the drastic tempo changes in that song is like right. so intense how much it, it changes <laughs> and it was cool to hear them talk about how, you know, how they did that and how they were like, no, it really needs to be a different tempo here completely. And, you know, they yeah. just did it. Yep. But that was really cool. And that that's what I was thinking was like when listening to Playback 99 was like that. It's so perfect and it works so well. And um, I just loved hearing you talk about it because it, it, I had just heard that episode <laughs> of Song Exploders. I was like, oh, this is really cool. Um, yeah, it was a great episode. 
do you think you guys will tour this year or do shows? What's yeah, yeah, the, we're yeah we're going to tour this year. Yes. And would, do you have any idea when that would start? Um, I believe there are some things that are going to be happening in summer. Okay. Yeah. Like festival kind of stuff. I mean, if you don't have specifics, that's fine. I was just curious. Um, yeah, there's going to be some festival stuff, and then there's um, some other stuff I'm not allowed to talk about yet. That is okay. That, that's happening, but yeah. So it's we're definitely going to be on the road for sure. Awesome. Um, I have just a few quick rapid fire questions to end. Cool. That I like to do so. The first one is: Can you tell me about one of the worst gigs you ever had? Oh, okay. Uh, so that first tour that I booked myself for the Juliana Theory, I believe this is 1999. We get to Denton, Texas at a place called Rubber Gloves and we get on stage and it's just felt like a big room and there was one person and he stood as far back as he possibly could from the stage. In <laughs> fact, I'm pretty sure that he was like sitting on a bench along the side, looking away from the stage, like sideways. And we played the entire show <laughs> to that one person who wasn't watching us. And so I don't know if that's the worst because in, in essence, that was sort of pra like, we're just like, Oh cool. We get to practice. <laughs> Like <laughs> right. we could practice. Like there was definitely worse shows where like everything, you know, there's been plenty of shows where like everything goes bad and like everything breaks yeah. and you know, you you have like your bass head breaks and then you get a backup <laughs> and then and then it breaks and then you break like three strings in a show and then and like right. everything. Like those are like the the classic. But yeah, I, I like the um I like the drive all day to get your very first time ever playing in Texas. And it was funny because certain shows on that, like our very first tour were like really good. Like they're, you know, I remember coming to Southern California the first time and there's like a few hundred people to see us, mm. but, but in Denton, Texas, there's zero. So it was, yeah, that was, <laughs> that one was just, I always remember that. That's cool. And to contrast that, do you have, um, uh, a show that stands out like, uh, you know, one of your most memorable shows that you've played? Most memorable show to me is um, the first show we played last year. It was magical. We hmm. we hadn't played. We had played basically one time on a cruise in 2017, but up up until then we hadn't played since 2010, and we have you know different. Josh and I have a different lineup in the band and this is so basically so so first time playing with this lineup and the first time playing in as a rock band in four years and the time before that was on a boat and it was really weird and so so <laughs> for, so first time playing on land with a rock band in 11 years and it's after lockdown it's after mm. not seeing very many people for so long and not having any communal s situation of, of at all, like barely had gone to restaurants, hadn't been to a movie theater. And all of a mm. sudden we were stepping on stage at 
the Roxy in West Hollywood and it's like packed and everybody's singing every song back to us and it just felt like an out-of-body experience to where like I can barely remember anything that happened and I feel like we played everything like three times faster because there was so much <laughs> adrenaline and excitement but it was just <laughs> amazing after all that isolation and all that time away to come back and like see so many happy faces and hear everybody singing it was just awesome that's great and what a great venue Oh yeah, it's it's great. I love that place. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee drinker. Coffee. Yeah, always. Are you like totally into coffee? I'm like a coffee snob. Oh yeah, no, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's like the, it's 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 the only thing I love almost as much as music, right? <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite? Like, do you have a favorite like like pour over or cold brew or like espresso what's your go-to i like actually like to change it up usually but it's usually something espresso based sometimes i'll get a sometimes i'll just get like an iced coffee and then i'll drink it black and sometimes i'll get an iced coffee with macadamia nut milk or like and then you know <laughs> yeah. sometimes i get a, a hot almond milk latte and sometimes i'll get a cold one uh, so you know i nice. have a few a few choices yeah that's awesome do you remember the uh, maybe you said this the, your first uh the first recording you ever bought first cassette or first lp you ever bought yeah i do um it was faith hope love by king's x and I think it's a still an amazing record. Um, That's the first. I, I remember before that I wanted to get. I was obsessed with Kokomo when it came out by the Beach Boys, and so oh yeah, I, I took like I'm, I had my mom like take me to the record store to like buy the album. But when we realized that it was a soundtrack album with like all these other songs, and I just thought it was going to be like a Beach Boys album. And she was like, oh, I don't know. What are all these other songs? And I was like, I don't know. And then I feel like she was like, we're not going to buy this. Let's just get the single. <laughs> and so that was going to be my first album was the like the cocktail soundtrack. The but, cocktail yeah, soundtrack. That's yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but it ended up being, it ended up being that King's X record. That's really, that's really cool. What are your essentials when you sit down to either songwrite or compose like what what do you what are the things you need around you to to do that um i need a quiet place usually i like to not have a lot of outside noise and i like to not basically privacy is the, is the main <laughs> thing i need like i want to feel and if people can hear me I want to imagine that they can't and hopefully they can't because I want the freedom to just do the most asinine things that I can possibly do. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes, it. yeah, it's like if I'm writing a melody, I might be writing something when my voice is not good yet or it's like maybe it's two in the morning and maybe I barely slept and it's it's whatever and it might sound bad, but I know what it what it's going to sound like when I do the 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 real thing or whatever the sure. a good take or whatever and sing the real version but like yeah when i'm creating something i just basically want privacy so i can like just explore ideas and not feel like 
not that anybody would be judging and not like there's anybody who even would care. Nobody even cares, but it's just in my own head. Like I have to like have that freedom to feel like I can. Yeah. You know, whatever. I totally get that. I, I'm that way of practicing. It's like, I, I don't want anybody to hear it, even though nobody would listen, but yeah. it's just <laughs> they, 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 nobody, everybody has their own things to do. They don't, they don't care like what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. What are you most looking forward to for 2022? Um, just to keep, just keep creating. I mean, that's, that's my favorite thing just to keep making stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited to play shows. I'm excited to put out, um, you know, I have a movie coming out sometime this year and I'm about to start another one. And, um, you know, I'm excited for all these things, like excited for these EPs to come out. Yeah. Mm. That's great. Where can people learn more about you, Brett? Where, where can they connect with you? Um, I'm on most of the internet things that people are on. I don't do the best job at all of them, but, I, but I'm trying so they can, they can find me. I usually, I think I'm just like, it, it's just my name, Brett Detter, B-R-E-T-T-D-E-T-A-R. So I'm just mm -hmm. at that on like everything. I think like Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Oh, you're on TikTok. I didn't, I didn't look there, but I did see Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, I'm terrible at Facebook. I haven't <laughs> looked at that or updated that page in, in at least, I don't know, eight years, but, mm -hmm. and TikTok, I just starting it. I don't, um, so I'm, I'm like yeah. a baby there, but yeah, I'm, I try to occasionally hang out on, um, in, you know, in the pre metaverse <laughs> world. Right, right, right. And there's also a website for Juliana Theory, and you also have your own website, I think, too, that I came across. I do. Wow, that I forgot all about that thing. I have no <laughs> idea what is even on it. <laughs> I forgot people use those things. Yeah. Right. Hey, Brett, I really appreciate you taking the time today. It's been a lot of fun getting to know you and, and chatting, and I'm excited for your EPs and for everybody to hear Playback 99. I think they're going to love it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Hey there, this is Steve. Thanks again for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brett Detter. It was really great getting to know Brett and talk to him. And check out the EP that just dropped. Uh, still the same kids part one, or at least the single just dropped today. So you're going to want to go check that out. And you can follow Brett online at brettdetter.com. Also, don't forget to check us out online, theplayfulmusician.com. You can see show notes from this show, all the past shows, and you can hear all the past episodes. We're coming up on the three-year mark, or two-year mark, I guess. So we've been at this for almost two years exactly. We're about to launch into the third year, and I've got such a great, amazing lineup of guests coming towards you. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on Spotify, like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Take good care. I hope you're all doing really well, and we'll see you back here again real soon.